pitch. Swing and a line drive, base hit into left field. The Blue Jays are going to win it. Biggio scores. Vladimir Guerrero Jr. delivers in the 10th. The Blue Jays race onto the field, celebrating a game winner. Not a bad night at the ballpark. Good afternoon. Welcome to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. That was our pal Ben Wagner on the call last night on the Sportsnet Radio Network as Vladimir Guerrero Jr. walks it off in the bottom of the 10th, scores Kevin Biggio on a single to left. For the second time this year, we see him returning to the dugout, trying to remind everyone that this is his house. Could this be the first sign of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. getting hot at the right time? He's had a tough year by his standards. You like to see him come through in a spot like that. Felt like he needed it. Team certainly did. Jays win 3-2 in 10 innings. Magic number now down to three. Playoffs, so much of a certainty that Fangraphs has now gone as far as to round that 99.9% up to 100%. Now, mathematically, they could... Not make the playoffs still. But you're getting there. The big thing to watch if you're the Blue Jays is that you're two and a half up on Tampa and three on Seattle right now. Ideal scenario is you head into that series next week with Baltimore Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in in control of having home field in the wild card series. Then you don't have to do the Manoa question mark For game 162, you don't have to do a lot of things. You can really take your time and line up how you look in the wildcard series. Good first step in that regard last night with the win against the Yankees. Of course, not without some controversy if you're a big baby, as most Yankee fans are, uh, apparently. Jays walk Aaron Judge in extra innings with runners on first and second. We'll talk to Chris Black about that in a minute. We'll get into some of the numbers that I crunched. We'll talk to John Morosi about that a little bit later as well, get kind of the high-level take on it. John Morosi, by the way, who's already on, well, Aaron Judge has hammered Jose Brios in his career watch. Uh, so, yeah, that could be tonight. If you're, if you're looking at the Aaron Judge chase, he's still on 60. This is somehow like his longest streak of homerless games on the year. Like, Aaron Judge has almost gone a week without a home run, and it's a national emergency that he hasn't hit a home run. Jose Brios has the second most home runs allowed in the American League this year, and Judge has homered off of him multiple times in the past. So we'll see how that goes. We'll talk to Chris Black about that intentional walk decision in a minute. We're going to talk to Esteban Rivera at 3.30, he made his debut at Fangraphs today and wrote an excellent piece on some of the mechanical changes that Bo Bichette has made uh, to fuel this turnaround. He's also uh, a Yankees guy. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the Yankees side of things, a little bit about the Yankees connection to uh, the Latin American baseball fan base. Uh, I'm going to the game tonight with uh, my friend Fab, who's uh, who is Colombian-Canadian uh, as well. And so some, some parallels there. Excited to talk to Esteban and read his stuff over at Fangraphs. Uh, we're also going to talk to Ricky Romero, our pal. We'll see how he's doing in the wake of Trey Lance's injury. I mentioned John Morosi, but right now, 
It's Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet. Chris, how are you, buddy? Chris. Uh, I'm doing great. There he is. I'm doing great. I, uh, what I really enjoyed was listening to Ben Wagner's growly call there. What I really like uh, as the season gets later and later, as the games mean a little bit more, you hear Showman and Wagner kind of lean into their big calls and big moments. They get a little growly. Uh, it's It's been fun to listen to them do their thing. Is that, though, Chris, based on the fact that these are bigger moments and they're leaning into it or the fact that we are like 155 games into the season and yes, Sportsnet load manages those guys here and there, but this is a long season. If you got to do uh, three hours a night, if anyone knows about raspiness, it'd be me. So yeah, I can, I can relate and have sympathy to them kind of feeling the voice a little bit, but yeah, they've been, I've really enjoyed Dan's calls. I really enjoy Dan's Dan, like, Dan Schulman is very good at everything he does, but I have to say I enjoy his walk-offs when it's like a base hit, hmm. where he, when he can do the here comes Springer, here comes Bichette. Uh, there's a there's a crescendo to it that I really enjoy. So it's again, it's been fun listening to those guys in these big moments of late. Well, Dan, obviously a pro, and uh, based on a tweet from Adam Seaborn, who's a sports media analyst, uh, 1.3 million people would have saw or heard Dan Schulman's call last night on the Sportsnet broadcast of Jay's Yankees. That's not even factoring in uh, the people who would have been listening to Ben Wagner's call on the Sportsnet radio network. And then, Chris, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, there were 34,000 and change there at the Rogers Center last night. By the end of that game, that felt like 45,000 people were there. Do you get the sense this fan base is ready for playoff baseball as well? Yeah, like... It's interesting listening to the discussion over the last few days, and I fully kind of understand both sides of it about the how could you ever throw Manoa in game 162. But last night was just a little bit of like a an explanation or a little bit of a from the other side of it. Man, this crowd, it's, it's bringing back memories of 15 and 16 a bit, more so 15. Like when they are really going, there's no better place. And I don't care. This is when we were talking about the Dome a month or two ago. This is when I enjoy the Dome. When it is rocking, when it feels like it's shaking, a uh, really cool moment last night. All right. So, Chris, another thing that home field gives you is a little bit more scenario certainty when you're managing a game. So if you are John Schneider, you are going into two extra innings. Um, you have the benefit of, first of all, if you hold the other team scoreless, you know you need one run. If you allow one run, you know you need to play for two runs and so on. You can also dictate the terms of that a little bit, knowing that if something doesn't work or if it does work, you have last bats at the bottom of an inning. And we saw a really interesting decision tree kind of play out last night. So for anyone who missed it or needs a refresher, here's where we're at. It's the top of the 10th inning. Anthony Bass has two strikeouts and a walk so far. And because the runner starts on second, he's so he's got runners on first and second, third base is open, two outs. Aaron Judge is up to the plate. He's singled, walked, and struck out twice. Uh, by the way, Chris, all four of his plate appearances to that point, leading off innings with nobody on base. Before we get into the intentional walk decision, should they maybe look at Aaron Judge sliding down a little bit, or is there just no one in that lineup worthy of hitting above him to set the table? Uh, quick answer, you'd only consider moving him down to two. 
You're not going to move them down any further than that. And who would you even put lead off? Like they're, I think their lineup's a mess. I think the Yankees are a mess really. Um, but yeah, so you could maybe consider moving down to two, but other than that, so I think it's a, a small move, but I don't think it's necessarily wrong to consider that. Yeah, it's a, it's just a lot of Aaron Judge plate appearances with with nobody on base, and it stands out. So in this case, he comes up. There are two runners on, and the decision John Schneider is working through is let Anthony Bass pitch to Aaron Judge here with two outs, with two on, or, and this is the route they went, go to Tim Mesa. And they immediately have Tim Meza intentionally walk Aaron Judge. So the way you're looking at this is the rest of the inning. And the reason they wanted Tim Meza is because Anthony Rizzo, the lone pure lefty in the Yankees lineup, is up after Judge. It seems odd on the surface to intentionally walk a guy when first base isn't open and it's the top of an inning. So a big inning could kill you. Um, Chris, what was your reaction to that decision in real time? And has it changed sitting with it this morning, this afternoon? Uh, One more tiny compliment for Dan Shulman. And I swear I'm going to move on. I love how quickly he and Buck kind of diagnosed what was happening and they were all over it. So that was really cool. Like I I do really think, obviously I'm biased, but I, I just think we're all, kind of spoiled to have those two guys calling big moments. But um, yeah, I, it's interesting. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be interested to hear your take in it felt, yes, it's, it's out of the ordinary, but in that situation, it felt like it made sense. I sent something out this morning over the last 10 years. It's just the sixth time <laughs> that an American league hitter was intentionally walked in that scenario, extra innings, tie ball game, runners on first and second. So it's definitely not something that happens often. Um, more than anything to me, it's about a vote in confidence in Tim Meza, which a few weeks ago, a month ago, we probably, they probably wouldn't have made that, that decision. Um, he gave up a home run to Shohei Otani in late August since then lefties are one for 16 against him. Hmm. And over, over their last, 11 or so plate appearances, it's ground out, ground out, strike out, ground out, ground out, ground out, strike out, ground out, yada, yada, yada. Nothing out of the infield. So I like the decision. I don't think they were, they'd even be capable of making it without Tim Meza being right. So my initial, and, and I'm with you, Tim Meza, that is a huge vote of confidence in him. Here's the other thing that I thought of in real time. And forgive me, I, I may have had a, a king can or two at this point. So I don't know that my thinking was the sharpest in real time. But to me, it was a bit of a concession that if they don't get out of this situation, Meza versus Rizzo, they're okay conceding the game. Basically, if they give up a big inning, they've already used five relievers in the game. You've got a couple more games in this series to worry about. Um, If the Yankees were to build a big inning, you live with that because the other thing about bringing Mesa in there for Rizzo and for anyone who's curious why they brought in Mesa to walk Aaron Judge instead of letting Bass do it, it's because of the three batter minimum. So Mesa, say Rizzo gets on, he only would have had to face one more guy. Now, Glaber Torres, Josh Donaldson, Giancarlo Stanton were coming up, a part of the order you really don't want Mesa pitching to. So to me, it was, if we don't get out of this, we're in trouble anyway. So let's do everything we can to optimize Mesa versus Rizzo. So... 
basically a trade-off of if we can limit them to zero, maybe even one here, we've got a real chance to win this game. And if they build a big inning, well, we probably weren't going to come back in that case anyway, which I, I can understand. So, Chris, I sat down this morning um, when I had, you know, two king cups of coffee in me instead, and I ran <laughs> some numbers. I, I There's an old, not old, but there's a, there's a fan graphs tool from a couple years ago um, that I kind of yoinked and made some adjustments on my own and factoring in what Aaron judge has been this year, factoring in the current league environment instead of the league environment they made this tool during and taking a look at Anthony Rizzo's stats, a couple other factors there, the decision to walk Aaron judge decreased the Yankees run expectancy by 0.003 runs. So almost nothing, but the fact that giving them a free base runner to downgrade from Aaron judge to Anthony Rizzo is, I mean, there are a million ways to highlight how good Aaron judge has been this year. That one might be right up there that it was statistically the right move to give him a free pass in extra innings and load the bases for an all-star yeah, I don't view that as an indictment of Anthony Rizzo at all. To me, this is just, you know, we're entering Barry Bonds territory with Ju- with the 2022 version of Aaron Judge. This isn't me comparing careers or anything, but just how good he's been this year is just implies that, yeah, that was the right call. And like I said, like, I do think Schneider deserves a ton of credit, the Jays do, for for making that call. But just especially even in retrospect, it just, yeah, it makes a ton of sense. It's it's the logical move to me. So if anyone was curious about all the different uh, potential situations there, so by walking judge, the Jays slightly, slightly, slightly decreased the Yankees' expected runs. Uh, they increased the chances of the Yankees having a big inning, which, again, is fine. That's the trade-off you're making there. But the most important stat, which is what is the likelihood the Yankees get at least one run so a scenario where the Jays could lose in the bottom part of the inning, that dropped significantly. So your chances of having a walk-off situation in the bottom of the 10th increased a lot by making that move. Because again, you don't really care about the beginning um, necessarily. So Chris, the other question off of that I have for you, and I don't, obviously there's 35,000 people at Roger Center. Not all of them are thinking through all the, like this whole decision tree and things like that. Uh, the intentional walk of Aaron Judge gets a little bit of a boo. It pales in comparison to the ovation when Vladimir Guerrero Jr. walks it off shortly after that. Um, what do you make though of like th- this, it felt like a crowd and I was there um, that really wanted to see Aaron Judge home run hit a home run and the blue Jays win. Everyone's kind of holding. I know there are exceptions. It felt like the stadium as a collective was holding both of those things in mind. As a, I work on blue Jays broadcast for a living, but I'm also a blue Jays fan more than anything. I don't want to see Aaron judge make history against the blue Jays. I'm very much in the, in the corner of, yeah, no, do it later this week. Um, So I like every day that passes this is just a human nature thing and more of me guessing. I feel like he's got to be squeezing the bat a little bit harder. The attention, every his routine gets thrown out of whack a little bit every single day. The baseballs get get different every time. Like I I think this piles up a little bit. And maybe that impacts his performance. Maybe it doesn't, but I don't think it's gonna make him play necessarily any better if the last week's shown us. So yeah. Every day that goes by without him hitting a home run, that's a win if you're a Blue Jays fan. 
We'll see uh, down there tonight against Jose Barrios and company if Judge can right the ship. Uh, Jose Brios again, has given up the second most home runs in the American League this year. So uh, some potential there. We're going to talk about Barrios in just a second, Chris. Um, within that game last night, there are a lot of things we could pull at. I do – the Kevin Gosman side of it is a little more – interesting statistically because we're getting to a point now where he's really high in the Jays record books in a lot of different categories for a starting pitcher season. Um, the big concern though, his batting average on balls in play has cratered. Now it's, it's all the way down to 362. He's no longer the leader in the post 1900 era. Listen, man, it's got It's got to normalize. We knew this was going to happen. It needed to happen. <laughs> I love you you know this by now. I'm a big Gossman guy. I do think Manoa, you know, over the last month, like this is Captain Obvious territory, but Manoa's become the ace. Like I would have said five, six weeks ago, they were 1A, 1B. Um, Manoa's become the de facto number one, and again, that's obvious. But what Gossman's doing, like I think you need to be really confident. How many AL teams have this one-two combination? Is it Houston? And that's it. Like maybe like my level of confidence in these two guys up at the top of the rotation is, is really, really high. Yeah. I, I like the way you put that. And, and I think so as well. And we're obviously going to get some clarity over the course of this week about who that those two could be lining up against, assuming the Jays get to, you know, optimize the rotation and you look and it's, you know, it's McClanahan. Obviously, that's a that's a huge one for Tampa. There's Cleveland's rotation is as much about the depth through the middle of it as anything. Um, but yeah, it's uh, even Seattle. Luis Castillo uh, falling apart now that he got that big contract. A kid. Um, so Chris, I, I did want to ask you. So Vlad walks it off with that single. It is almost like a bit of a. Uh, jab at us I think not from Vlad but just like from the baseball gods that all this stuff that we've been picking on him for and like kind of beating a dead horse with the the pulled ground balls to the left side and he hits one of those to win it um, so it's not always a bad thing but this isn't a very analytic question do you think a, a, a moment like that can help something click for Vlad, help him get on better footing, or at least maybe to a better headspace down the stretch here and heading into the playoffs. Because I do wonder if, you know, all the talk about Manoa, Gosman, Romano, Bo Bichette, obviously as hot as he's been, Springer being this September, October legend. Um, maybe you you mentioned the possible squeezing the bat a little tight for Aaron Judge. Maybe there was a bit of that for Vlad too, and him being the guy to come through in a spot like that. I don't know. It felt kind of important, even if, uh, you know, the numbers still are what they are. Yeah, like he, he needed that moment. I think we can all kind of readily admit that. Um, I thought there was an interesting, I can't remember the exact wording Schneider used, but in his post-interview clips, he mentioned something about, um, he mentioned something about, it wasn't swing decisions exactly, but it's about like knowing what pitches Vladdy can hit or no, it was something along those lines. So it had me look into like, and this ties back into some stuff we've been talking about where it's, it's not just about what, it's not just about chase percentage, like what, if you're, how often you're swinging outside of the zone, but what pitches you're swinging at inside the strike zone. So I looked at one particular spot just because this is kind of the spot that we look at with any of these sluggers, big right-handed sluggers. It's called, it's zone nine. It's the, it's the, it's the part of the strike zone that's low and away to a right-handed batter. 
So Vladdy's been 58% April to August was his swing rate in that zone. He's 70% in September. Like that's a massive, massive number for a pitch that you really can't do that much damage with as a quick, like comp, not a perfect comp, but judge is 48% in that zone. And that's another guy who gets pitched there all the time. So yes, it's good for him to have that moment. He's a super gifted hitter. I do expect great things from him in this year, but I just think he's got to find a way to lay off the pitches that he can't do damage with. Because if he just sticks with the pitches he can drive, he is an all-world hitter. But it's just about cutting down that percentage at how often you're swinging at pitcher's pitches. So a couple spots after Vlad in the order is Teoscar Hernandez. And and not to pivot the conversation too harshly from Vlad to, to Teoscar, but I did want to ask you about Hernandez um, before we let you go here. He takes uh, no way around it, a mistake pitch from Severino yesterday. Uh, deep, deep, deep center field. Uh, thought it was gone. Hits off the top of the wall for uh, a double that scores two. You look at some of the stat cast metrics right now. Teoscar Hernandez popping up on the top 10 in the league in the number of hits when he's barreled the ball uh, top 15 in the league in barrels per batted ball event. Um, now first on the team in average exit velocity, Teoscar Hernandez had that really tough may that's kind of dragged down his numbers on the year. And he's just never really gotten back to that spot in the lineup he was hitting or, you know, I, I don't know that there's been a subsequent hot streak uh, down the stretch here, but are you impressed with the way Teoscar has been hitting the ball? And is do those numbers give you some confidence that this can be the version of Teoscar Hernandez they need over the next couple of weeks? If Teoscar lays off breaking balls, he is a top, whatever you want to call it, 20 hitter, top 30 hitter in all of baseball. He's slugging so 700 his, against fastballs, right? Yeah, something crazy high. He's the best... He's the best hitter on the team against fastballs. He's top 10 in baseball against fastballs. He's, to be honest, like he's not as good as the guy I'm going to compare him to right now, but his swing, just the way it looks, especially when he drives the pitch, it reminds me of Manny Ramirez, that kind of pretty right-handed finish. Um, he's got that type of ability to just drive the ball to all fields. You can make an argument, and this is crazy when Vladimir Guerrero Jr., is on the team that he's got the most raw power on this team. I don't so think him, it's, it's crazy. I mean, we just yeah. cited the stat cast stuff and maybe it's not, Hey, your absolute maximum, but on average so far this year, Teoscar is hitting the ball a little harder than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yeah. And it's all again, like it's to come back to that term that we're using a lot these days, but for him, the swing, swing decisions are about breaking balls. If he can lay off those, he's so, so good against fastballs. And he has gone better. He's gone better at forcing pitchers into the zone so that he can hit his pitches. And it's that swing. Like, the swings that he had in Tampa are just beautiful. And, again, like, this is – if he's going right, if some of these other guys in the bottom of the – towards the bottom of the order are going right, this is, outside of the Dodgers, the deepest team, the deepest lineup in baseball. Um some uh, stats and pull the number for us. Highest OPS by lineup positions five through nine. Blue Jays are number one. It's not even Dodgers, close, is it? Braves. 
Yeah. Uh, it's 11 points. They're ahead of the Dodgers. Okay. I so saw, a, me, I, I saw a seven to nine stat recently and it was like a 40 point difference, but that might've been American yes. league only. Yeah. Seven to nine. It's the same idea, but yeah, they're just, they're the deepest lineup in baseball. And this is what I just like about how they've constructed this roster is they've just got, this is a bit of a kind of catch all term, but they really do have professional hitters towards the bottom of the order. And even sitting on the bench, like, no, they don't have a big left-handed slugger that can come off the bench, which I know some people wanted them to get as an option off the bench, kind of in kind of big leverage moments in the postseason. But I just, I feel like no matter who you bring off, whether it's a Merrifield, a Biggio, those types of guys, they can give you professional at-bats and they can find a way. And they've done a good job of kind of maximizing every day who the pitcher is. Let's put guys in there who can have success. So I just, I'm really confident in this lineup as a whole these days. Chris, you have multiple kids, right? I have two girls, eight okay. and five. So um, just got a text in the text line from Alex, uh, who I actually met at the game last night. So shout out to him and his partner. Um Hey, Oscar Hernandez recently had his third kid. We know from Fred Van Vliet in the NBA finals that having a second kid is no less impactful than having a first kid on uh, your performance. It, maybe that's what's going on with Teoscar Hernandez here, the Fred Van Vliet, Fred Jr. bump right in time for the playoffs. It's just immaculate vibes. Yeah. Like, when you're at the house and there's a new baby mm -hmm. around, everyone's happy. Uh, there's just vibes, there's smiles. You're also really, really tired. And maybe work, the pressure at, at work feels like nothing compared to at home. But yeah, I could definitely see it. And he's, Teoscar just seems like a good dude. He's always got that big smile on his face. We wish some of the brain cramps could kind of happen with less frequency, but just uber, uber talented guy. Uh, I was going to ask you about Jose Barrios as well. We're running a little long here. Um, so I guess the only thing I'll throw at you is have you come around at all or, or changed your opinion at all? And you and I talked about this a while back that Barrios has these extreme home road splits, but you dig into the like the underlying stuff or, or the submetrics, and there's not really a great explanation for why, including that his home run per fly ball rate is way higher away from home, even though Roger center is a very favorable home run per fly ball ballpark. Um, do you see anything in Barrios's home road splits that, that we should be narrowing in on tonight? Short answer. No, I almost never look at home road stuff. It almost never feels like something tangible that I can kind of hold on to and something that makes sense. Here's a number I'm going to leave with you for the rest of the day. His last three starts. He's thrown 61 breaking balls. The breaking ball, his best pitch. We've talked about it all year. He has zero strikeouts with it. Ugh. And opponents have a 455 average. So when I saw that video that Buck and Dan were talking about last night uh, of him kind of talking to Pete Walker, I think they think he might be tipping. I, I have no inside knowledge about that. But those numbers, when it really is his best pitch, those are really, really weird numbers. Before that, this season, 189 average and about two to three strikeouts per game with it. So the fact he has zero strikeouts over his last three starts, 455 average, just I'm interested to see if there's any mechanical tweaks with Barrios tonight, uh, especially with the breaking ball. We'll have to see, and, and that's uh, that's not a great thing because a lot of the story this year has been like, well, your fastball and sinker just need to be good enough to set up the curveball because it's your only effective pitch exactly. right now. And if you lose that, uh, hard to see 
where it's going after that. Uh, Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet. Thanks so much for taking the time out, man. Keep up all the great work at Down to Black on Twitter, on the broadcast. And we will talk to you uh, next week, possibly from Baltimore, possibly here in studio. Who knows? TBD. Let's see what happens to that magic number. All right, Chris. Uh, Chris Black, producer at Sportsnet. Again, more of his stuff makes its way into the broadcast, into Blue Jay Central, things like that. And he's at Down to Black on Twitter. If you uh, want to take a look at some of the stat threads and video threads and stuff like that, he puts together. Speaking of video, we talked about Aaron Judge as a hitter, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. as a hitter, Teoscar Hernandez as a hitter. You know who's been the hottest hitter short of Aaron Judge over the last, I don't know, maybe six weeks in baseball? Bobachet. Esteban Rivera had his first piece up at Fangraphs today, took a video breakdown look at some of the swing changes Bobachet's made. We're going to talk to Esteban about that next on Jay's Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Starting Monday, be sure to tune into the JD Bunkus podcast, weekday mornings at 9 on Sportsnet 590 The Fan or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. Jay's back in action against the Yankees. 707 first pitch. Ben Wagner and Arden Swelling on the call for you on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Hope they get as fun a one to call as they did last night. Ben Wagner nailed it with the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. walk-off single. Less excited about that was probably our next guest of Fangraphs of Pinstripe Alley, Esteban Rivera. How are you, man? Hey, Blake, you know what? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, that at that yesterday, from my perspective, was frustrating, but I'm sure it was a real nice one for you. Yeah, it was great. It was uh, that was, you know, a game I went to as a fan instead of as media. So it's it's nice to uh, nice to get a good one like that. Um, Esteban, before we get into some of the specifics, first of all, congrats on uh, making the debut at Fangraphs, I'm curious what this transition has been like for you going from playing college baseball at Bard College to being an intern at StatCast to now being a writer at Fangraphs. Um, What's the transition been like to go from baseball player to baseball analyst like this? Yeah, it's been, it's been interesting. I've always been a geek since I was (laughs) young. I'm just, I'm a, I'm a baseball geek, geek in every which way, whether that be through statistics, mechanics, and just, strategy in the game in general. So I wouldn't say it was difficult in terms of me thinking about the game, but it was interesting trying to channel it into different modes. For sure. And I'm, I'm curious as to, you know, obviously having played the game, whether you're a geek or not, you're going to have certain things that you can pick up on or, or verbalize or even notice more than someone who hasn't spent a ton of time in the game, um, at least from your stuff at, at Pinstripe Alley and Twitter and obviously this Fangraphs, uh, this Fangraphs debut, it seems like one of the biggest things that you're able to pick up that, that kind of separates the work and gives a different perspective is swing mechanics. Do you feel like that's a, that's an area of strength or, or something that, you know, is a little more natural for someone who was playing the game not very long ago? Yeah, absolutely. Swing and pitch mechanics. Uh, I was a catcher for almost my entire baseball career. So I also have a little bit of a connection there with pitching just from developing relationships with pitchers and constantly talking to them. But 
swing mechanics and pitching mechanics, that's that's my MO. That's what I'm about. And I think that it's what I enjoy writing the most about. Well, it's uh, it came through in the, the Bo Bichette piece at Fangraphs today. So, again, that's called uh, Bo Bichette's scissor kick has revitalized his swing. It's one of the best scissor kicks. Personally, I think Booker T had the best scissor kick back in the back in WCW. <laughs> but Bo Bichette's is uh, pretty good. So I, I want to go through your second. Yeah, I, I want to go through your piece a, a little bit. And, you know, Bo's swing in general, before we get down to uh, the kind of tweak that he made, you kind of point out how it can look like a, a pretty violent swing of time to generate more power than his frame might suggest. It's also a very pretty swing. How, like, what was your opinion before diving into this or before Bobachet's slump about what his swing looks like, just almost more aesthetically than mechanically? I've always been a big fan of Bo, and I've been wanting to write about him for a while. When you see someone of that frame and you see the type of power they produce gap to gap, it really just peaks in a big level of interest. I think um, from his perspective growing up and around the league and such, it, it allows you to work through those types of movements uh, more differently than other people who come up through the game not as attached with their, with their dad being a great hitter. But <laughs> it's probably a big reason why he's able to move like he does and still be such a productive hitter. And working through his slump, I was just confused. Even watching him in Yankees Jays games, it's I was confused. I'm like, where is this rotational power that we've become so accustomed to seeing from Bo from for the last few years since he's been in the league? And so when I had the opportunity to dive into his mechanics and really find out what happened, it clicked right away. Just in the lower half, you can see it went from someone who is just picking his leg up and putting it down to beginning to actually use his hips to rotate with force. There's a big difference there. You can walk around and take step by step, and then you can explode from spot to spot. And he's he's really used that scissor kick to his advantage, pulling the ball to left field, going to the opposite field gap. It's been really impressive to see a hitter like him click midseason. It's not always something that you can do so easily, but uh, it seems like one day it just all came together for him. Yeah, and the results speak for themselves over the last little while. Um, short of Aaron Judge, no one really hotter down the stretch here in baseball. Um, this is an audio medium, so we'll just direct people to the piece at Fangraphs for the actual visuals of, of you know what's changed in the footwork there. But the goal here, as you wrote it, is you know that change is designed more to create balance for the bat path across the entire plate. Can you, can you walk us through a little bit of, um, you know, that need to stay back sometimes and how that better balance can make you better capable of adjusting at the plate once the pitch comes in? Yeah, of course. So when a hitter is getting into the point where they're landing in their front foot, they reach a point in their swing where they hit a pause. And in that pause, what I call deceleration, is when they make a swing decision. And depending on how they absorb that energy up through their legs, they're in a better position to make a swing on a diff on a 99 mile per hour fastball, an 85 mile per hour slider, a 75 mile per hour curved ball. If they can control that landing, then they're in a position to unleash different uh, variation of swings in different zones according to different speeds. So what Bo has done with the scissor kick, that motion where the back foot sort of kicks back, creating that scissor motion, is when he realizes that a pitch is coming in, say, 
an 85 mile per hour slider like that one against Jason Adam that he took out the center field off balance. He uses that motion to keep his body in a hip hinge. So imagine you're going to do a squat or you're going to do a deadlift. You get into a hinge to be in a powerful position. So the longer a hitter like Bo can stay in that position, the better. And depending on your hip anatomy, the way your body works, that scissor can help you maintain that hinge while also executing a swing in a, in a very, very efficient bat path. So when you have a player like Bo Bichette, who also has this elite bat speed and very good, um, you know, bat the ball and hand-eye coordination, where even when he was quote-unquote struggling, it was like, oh no, Bo is only a league average hitter. Um <laughs> You know, that combination feels pretty powerful. There are obviously some guys who can get by without that balance and without those great mechanics. There are guys who maybe have the good mechanics but don't have the natural swing ability. Um, you know, what is your what is your thought on where Bo can go with this, having both of those things that he can now marry together as he has the last five or six weeks? Mm-hmm. This is reminding me of the Bo that came up right away and was just raking no matter the pitcher left, right, and was just eat electric to watch. I think he's got a pretty high ceiling. I know that the defense can be spotty at times, but there aren't many shortstops in the league who can hit like he does and attack different pitchers in the way he does. Uh, you can see him take a hitter like Shane McClanahan on a 99-mile-per-hour <laughs> running fastball to right center with ease just by changing up his approach in two strikes and just getting rid of that leg kick. And then you can see him adapt his approach to have a more a more aggressive swing with a bigger leg kick, trying to produce more power. And like I said, there aren't many hitters who can make adjustments like that in the middle of an at-bat. So anybody that can do that, make pitch-to-pitch adjustments, uh, the, the sky's the limit for them. Another Blue Jay who we have talked about some potential mechanical adjustments with it. And Joe Siddle, one of our broadcasters here on, at Sportsnet and on Blue Jay Central, he comes on this show sometimes. He had a great breakdown about Vlad's mechanics a couple weeks ago and why maybe he was hitting more ground balls to the pull side than, than we'd like to see. Now, there are swing decision elements of that too, where you know he's mm-hmm. swinging at something like 70% of the, the pitches in the zone, but low and away um, over, mm-hmm. the, over the last month or so. When you look at Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s swing right now, are you seeing anything, whether it's something we can take from Bo Bichette's adjustment or just something you're seeing in his mechanics in general uh, that are leading to, yeah, hard hit balls, but such an extreme ground ball rate for like a two-month stretch at this point? Yeah, you're always going to see hard hit balls from Vladdy, whether they're <laughs> up, down, left, right. That's not that's not going to be the issue for him. What I think Vladdy gets into sometimes is because he has that toe-tap motion, where he's sort of working his way backwards and then forwards, I think he doesn't always get in a super athletic position, and that can restrict his bat path at times. See, when you stand up, you stand up straight, and this is actually a good comparison to Bo uh, in his early months. If you stand up straight and don't get into a super athletic position in your swing, then you have trouble creating depth in your body to actually get your barrel behind the entry into the hitting zone. So if you think about... Uh, the hitting zone as in front of the plate, in the middle of the plate, and behind the plate. It's it's most ideal for your bat path to be on a, on a good flat angle or with slight loft throughout each part of those zones. And if you're doing what Vlad is doing and you're not creating too much separation for your body to enter the hitting zone on that back part of the plate, then you're just cutting off some area for you to get loft, to get under the ball. 
And I know that this is something he's struggled with for years, uh, really, since he's come into the league. And it's something that he works through from time to time. But I'm not worried about him at all. I think this is something that he can work through in the cage at some point, and it'll just really click for him. And <laughs> according to that swing last night, things are looking up. Yeah, that was a, was a nice swing. And it was uh... – Nat, that's a good uh, segue point because, you know, that swing came at the end of, a, of an extra inning game where the crowd had just gotten through, giving at least a light boo to Aaron Judge being intentionally walked uh, with runners on first and second in the top of the 10th. Uh, obviously ends well for uh, the Toronto faithful. Um, in real time, what was your reaction to that walk? Did you think it was the right move? Were you, were you a little disappointed at all? Oh, I was I was definitely disappointed. You know what? I tried not to get too upset about in-game decisions because you're ne- you're never going to agree with the manager 100% of the time. But man, what was the reason to pitch to him? The winning runs on second base, and you got one of the scariest hitters in baseball up. I don't really care who's on deck on the Blue Jays. It's it it's not Vladdy. So uh, <laughs> I was frustrated. I thought that there was no reason to pitch to him, but. Uh, it is what it is. I guess it was meant to be. The Yankees had opportunities to win that game earlier on. So so you were not as uh, upset as the guy who played Brucey in the longest yard who was here and posted <laughs> a video of himself that we can't play because there aren't enough uh, beep buttons on the radio. You know the one I'm talking about? Yeah, maybe if I was in the stadium, I would have been that mad. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. And it also, like, it stands out in such contrast because the Jays had just intentionally walked Aaron Judge and then exactly. the Yankees don't do it with Vlad. Um, I'm curious. Yeah. So you, you obviously write for Pinstripe Alley as well. In your Fangraphs debut, you know, you put it out there. Yeah, I'm an analyst, but I, I grew up a Yankees fan. And I know that you have um, roots in, in Puerto Rico and El Salvador. I'm going to the game tonight with a Yankees fan friend who's uh, from Colombia. I'm curious as to your take or, or even just your own experience about that Yankees connection to Latin America. Because it does feel like they've been able to maintain that kind of foothold as, you know, a, a lot of people come to the game of baseball through the Yankees first. Yeah, that's an awesome question. I appreciate you asking it. Uh, the The players I connected to growing up were the Latin players on the Yankees in that early dynasty team. And the way that the Yankees have really developed their international scouting in Latin America has been uh, another avenue for me to stay connected to them. And I know as someone becomes an analyst, they sort of remove themselves from fandom, but I think that that's a key element as to why I'm staying so connected to this team in particular. Uh, You see people that are, or for me, it's, they're easy to root for Even now you have guys like uh, Glaber Torres, Luis Severino, who came up with the team. I know Glaber was acquired via trade, but these guys are here from the team from when they're young, they're developing as people, as baseball players and to see them develop away from home and, have the Yankees who give players like them an opportunity to be so successful is definitely amazing to see. Um, I, I know a guy that you've kind of tweeted about it and looked at from a, you know, um, developmental standpoint and looking at what his swing mechanics could be um, a guy I I've gotten really high on it. And part of it is just, you know, he plays all across the diamond plays very hard. Um, Oswaldo Cabrera, another Latin American player. Um, do you think he can be a, a piece for this team moving forward? Or like, is his ceiling kind of, well, if the Yankees were better, he'd be a utility guy or, or could he be a, a pretty big piece of this moving forward? Yeah. I'll be writing about that for tomorrow. <laughs> Pinstripe Valley. Perfect. Um, 
he he's exciting to see. I hadn't watched much of him while he was in the minor leagues, but since his walk-off single that he hit on a backed-up slider after an 0-for-21 stretch, he has been incredible. And his lefty swing is pure. It reminds me, uh, it's a low-effort swing that produces a lot of power. He's already taken some balls out into the right field bleachers, and it's pretty surprising to see from someone who looks like they're not even trying. Yeah, and then, it's I'm, easy, I'm right? Of a swing again. It's so easy. And on the right side, it's similar. It's not as easy as that left-handed stroke, but on the right side, it's similar. So when you have a guy like him, plays multiple multiple positions, like you said, and can swing it from both sides, it's, it's hard to not get <laughs> too excited. I know he wasn't a phenomenal minor league player, but when you see it, you see it, and he brings that energy too. All right, we got to get back to um... – pleasing the Jays listeners here. So uh, before I let you go, this this is maybe running the risk of some recency bias after last night. But if you were, you know, the way the playoff format lines up is the Yankees in the first round will play the winner of Cleveland and whoever is wild card three. Is there a team among Cleveland, Tampa, Toronto, and Seattle that you least want the Yankees to see in the playoffs? Oh, it's Toronto. It's 100% Toronto. This guy knows uh, what, what radio station he's yeah, on. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I heard you talking about it before I came on, but the lineup is so scary, and it's deep. It's deep. And I, the last two seasons, I hate when the Yankees play the Jays. <laughs> they, just, they just hit. Even when guys are injured, it doesn't even matter. They just hit, hit, hit. And with Bo hitting the way he has, with Vladdy inevitably going to get back to Vladdy levels and then Teoscar being an extremely productive hitter, uh, I'm, I'm scared of them. I don't like facing them. <laughs> Luckily, the pitching, the, the pitching isn't uh, too scary beyond those top two guys, but mm, anytime Vladdy comes to the plate against the Yankees, it is, is not fun to watch. It's well, been, it is, but... <laughs> it's been one of the more interesting things this year of you know, as Vlad's had his ups and downs and has underperformed relative to last year, you know, the conversation here is so much different than anytime I bring someone on from a different market and they're like, oh yeah, Vlad is terrifying. Like Vlad is still really <laughs> scary everywhere else. Um, um, so hopefully Vlad makes those, uh, those changes you've prescribed. And in a couple of weeks we're we're reading a fan graphs piece from you about Vlad's mechanical changes. Um, Esteban Rivera, congrats again on the Fangraphs gig. Keep up all the great work there and at Pinstripe Alley. Uh, appreciate you taking the time today, man. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Blake. I appreciate it, too. Was Esteban Rivera uh, of Fangraphs, of Pinstripe Alley. Go read that Bo Bichette piece if you care about things like swing mechanics and how a guy makes an adjustment in kind of a subtle way that you got you to gotta slow down the tape to to really look at. Um, it's called Bo Bichette's Scissor Kick Has Revitalized His Swing. It's over at Fangraphs. While you're there, click on the playoff probabilities, 100.0% for the Blue Jays, even though there's still a scenario where they could miss. Uh, magic numbers down to three. Esteban and Chris Black before him mentioned the depth of the Toronto Blue Jays lineup. So let's read it. The Jays tonight behind Jose Brios will start George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. gets a DH day. Alejandro Kirk catches and hits fourth. Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez, Rymel Tapia on left, Whit Merrifield at second, Kevin Biggio at first. So two lefties in there against Jamison Tyon. 
um, an outfield of, of Tapia, Springer, Hernandez again, and, and then Merrifield and Biggio both drawing into this one uh, as the Jays continue to believe this is the seventh straight game what Merrifield has started now after uh, that extended stretch of not really uh, playing much at all. Jose Brios on the mound. We'll, we'll get into the pitching matchups a little deeper earlier, but Chris Black, um, who was on with us earlier, texted over um, and the updated stats that he had mentioned on his way out over Jose Brios, first 27 starts. He had 62 strikeouts with the breaking ball and opponents hit under 200 against it over his last three starts. Hasn't gotten a strikeout on it and opponents are hitting almost 500. Let's take a break. When we come back, Let's talk to Ricky Romero about what it's like for a pitcher to lose his best pitch like that. And if it is tipping that Jose Brios is doing, which the broadcast talked about potentially uh, the other day, how do you go about diagnosing and fixing that? Doesn't seem like an easy thing. We're also going to ask Ricky if he would have wanted to pitch to Aaron Judge in that spot last night instead of an intentional walk. Uh, We'll take a break. When we come back, it's Ricky Romero on Jay's Talk Plus. On Sports at 590, the fan. Welcome back to Jay's Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. It is ugly outside. The dome's probably going to be closed. Going to get nice and wet on the way down. It's a skywalk day instead of a, a long Bremner day is what I'm saying. 707, Jay's back in action against the Yankees. It'll be Jose Barrios against Jamison Tyon. Uh, we have guests in each of these last two segments. Producer JR killing it today. Uh, also, the Jays have seen Jamison Tyon five times already this year, so I really don't feel the need to go too deep uh, teeing that one up later. Uh, let's talk about and to a different pitcher. It's Ricky Romero of MLB Network Radio, of Sportsnet, of Spinrate. How are you, buddy? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good, man. Um, So last night, obviously a lot of buzz around the Aaron Judge stuff, but also the Vlad walk-off. Good reminder of just how great the Rogers Center can be in big situations for you? Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I mean, I feel like when when the energy is uh, and the buzz is going strong in there, it's it's crazy, man. It's a tough, tough place to play. And I've talked to... um, opposing players and they, one of the stadiums they always mentioned this is when i was playing we, we weren't selling it out like they are now but like they were like man toronto fans are tough on outfielders they they, they said guys in the outfield always said <laughs> that they were scared to drop a pop a pop fly in toronto because they were scared <laughs> of the fans and and i can just imagine the atmosphere now when it's packed when it you know there's so much adrenaline going every pitch matters so much i can just imagine you know, the intensity of everything, how, how, and, and that just tells you how big home field advantage is, especially for the Toronto Blue Jays and, and then being able to host a playoff game. So we heard from Vladimir Guerrero Jr. After the game, um, this is per Ben Nicholson Smith, but he said that he talked to Jose Batista and Edwin Encarnacion, and they both told him you haven't fully experienced like Jays fans in Toronto until you've played playoff games there. Um, Ricky, I know you didn't have that pleasure, but Vlad, passing that on and Vlad coming through with a walk-off like that and doing the, this is my house 
after the game. Um, how how important is that to you when you see, you know, a guy who at least on the field is going to be a leader of this team and they need him to come through big? That ownership of, yeah, I want the crowd behind me and we want to defend this place. How big a deal is that to you? It's a huge deal. Um, and I feel like Vladdy is the type of guy that embraces that and the rest of the guys too. You, we've seen so much emotion out of these guys the past month. I feel like they've been in playoff mode for, for a whole month already. And, and I feel like they've brought it, you know, I mean, obviously they, 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 they hit a little bit of a cold zones and hot zones and stuff like that, but still they, they, they've managed to put themselves in this situation now and they're playing pretty good baseball. And, and a guy like Vladdy, I mean, he's the face of the franchise. He's a guy that, that loves that spotlight, loves those moments. And you know what? I mean, I, <laughs> I know I tweeted yesterday because I feel like every day I keep getting like, oh, Vladdy this. Vladdy keeps grounding into double plays. Vladdy this. And I'm like, well, shoot, you know, it, it happens. And, 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 and pitchers are pitching him tough. And maybe he's trying to do a little bit too much sometimes. But I feel like when, when, the, when the big moment comes up, he's definitely the guy that you want up at the plate and he doesn't shy away from those moments. It's not like he puts extra pressure on himself. I think he brings it upon himself to be like, I want to be the guy to deliver it. And when you see the emotion of him scoring that run, when you see the emotion of him hitting that walk off, it's just, it tells you that he is a hundred percent invested into his team and he, he loves it. And, and I think, we as fans, we need to embrace that more. We get so focused on the results, results, results. Well, you know what? The results are not always going to be there. He still goes out there and plays great defense. If he's not hitting, he's still playing great defense. So, you know, that you can't have it both ways sometimes. You can't be three for four at the plate with two home runs and then, you know, play excellent defense. Like, you can – for him, it's like if he's 0 for 3, he's still going to go out there and – and play you the best defense that he can. And, and it, again, it tells you about how young, uh, how young of a stud he is and how mature he is. I mean, not a lot of kids his age are, are doing what he's doing. And, and I mean, when you think about his age, <laughs> you're like, you look back and you're like, what, what was I doing at that age? And this guy is leading a franchise. And, and and he's doing a great job at it. I mean, even other major leaguers are like, yeah, I was in double A at 23. It's uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a lot. It's cool. Um, so Vlad wants that situation in his hands. I'm curious, Ricky, in the top of that inning, you as a pitcher, would you want this situation in your hands? Runners on first and second, two outs, third base is open. The Jays opt to intentionally walk Aaron Judge, the league's leader in home runs, the league's batting average leader. Would you, as a pitcher, wanted to have tried to get Judge out there? Or are you okay um, passing him and taking your chances with Rizzo? No, of course. The competitor in me wants a piece of Judge. But you know what? We You got to give credit when credit is due. John Schneider played his hand perfectly like that. And, and it goes to show you that He's trusting his guys. He's saying, you know what? I trust that Tim Mesa is going to come in and get the job done. And I think that says a lot. That that brings a different message to his team. He's saying, man, like, all right, we're willing to walk the best player on the planet right now, and he's relying on me to get out of this. And I think it's it's him showing trust in players. Obviously, I, I feel like Anthony Bass wanted a piece of judge, and he wasn't happy to be taken out. But at the same time, it's like I think – Schneider, as they say, you know, while while the Yankees are playing, you know, checkers, he's playing chess. He's like, all right, what's my next move, and how am I going to play this, and how am I going to do this? 
And, and, and that's cool, man. I mean, it's cool that he's showing trust in his players like that because not a lot of men, I mean, Aaron Boone could have done the same thing, right? I mean, yeah, he could have yeah. in that situation and, and he didn't, he decided to pitch to him and, and he made him pay. So, I mean, it just tells you right there the, the, the way that Schneider was thinking and he's made a few moves over the past few weeks. I leave you like, wow, like that, that's pretty impressive. And, and, and he's going with his instinct, his gut feeling, and again, the message that it sends to his guys in that clubhouse is, my manager trusts me in these big situations. So that's only big-time confidence for Tim Meza. I mean, he's the lone left-hander in that, in that, in that bullpen, and there's going to come a time where they're going to need more than an out from Tim Meza. And, 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 and if his, his confidence is high and he knows that his manager believes in him in big situations, then that's even better for this team. Definitely. Um, Ricky, so uh, you want to pitch the judge in that spot as a competitor. Curious, if you're Jose Brios tonight or Mitch White tomorrow or any of the pitchers that are going to face Aaron Judge the rest of the way here, um, with him sitting on 60 and the American League and Yankees record both online, are you pitching him differently? Are you pitching him more carefully at 60 than you would at, say, 55 if he was still leading the league? Um, you know, it did seem like there was a stretch there until recently where he was getting a lot of good pitches that he probably shouldn't have. Um, how are you approaching Aaron Judge right now if you're uh, if you're going to face him, say, three times tonight? Well, and I'm... Uh... I'm speaking of experience right here, Blake. I got to face A-Rod right. when he was going for 600 home runs. And the way I approached that night, because people, the questions do come up. How are you going to approach him? What are you going to do differently? I didn't do anything differently that I wouldn't do to A-Rod in any other at-bats. He knew what I was going to do. I was going to pound him in hard, 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 and then throw that breaking ball down and away. And that's how I usually got A-Rod out. No difference with Judge. All right, where's, where's his cold zones right now? That's what I'm going to attack, and I'm going to expose. At the end of the day, I'm not trying – like, if he hits the home run on a good pitch, you tip your hat off to it. I don't want to make a mistake and, and, ha- and have it be a big home run where it changes the game or something like that. And I think a lot of people sometimes are like, oh, you know, I, I'd give him something to hit. No, hell no. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I'm a competitor, man. Like, no, I, I'm going to attack you, and if you hit – hit one out off one of my best pitches, then so be it. But I'm not trying to just, you know, give you a cookie so that you can tie a record or whatever. The Toronto Blue Jays are not worried about that. They're worried about winning a game. And it showed last night. They didn't care that <laughs> a lot of, I'm sure, Yankee fans that were in attendance wanted to see that, that last that bat. They wanted to see Judge take a take a hack, but, but he didn't. So, no, I mean, I think you approach him the way you've approached him. If you've had success against him, you continue to approach him that way. And, and if, again, if he beats you with, his be- with, with your best pitch, then you tip your hat off to him and, hey, congratulations to him. But we got a ball game to win, and that's all that should matter right now and, and, and tomorrow. So that's all that matters with Aaron Judge chasing 61 or 62. Be honest, though, Ricky, if it was Pools chasing 700, would, would that change your – change your take on it at all are you a little with, with a, a milestone as big as 700 and a guy who's meant so much to the game and to so many players like albert the, does your opinion change just a tiny bit for him no 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 and he and albert is a good friend but no man no again <laughs> it's just the, the, in the in the in the middle of competition no like hey I, like kevin gosman said it best i don't want to be a highlight you know as cool as it is to face them in 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 big situations like this and moments that are going to be historic for in, in baseball history. No, I still, I still want to go out there and, and give them my best. Like I said, in facing a I remember Yankee stadium, 
you know, everyone, every time he'd come up to the plate and everyone's like, you know, at the top of their feet, yelling, screaming, and anything, any foul ball or pop-up that he'd hit, the whole crowd would go crazy. And, and I, he ended up hitting it the next day, I believe, off, off of Sean Markham. But, yeah, no, in no way, shape, or form was I going to just give <laughs> in and, and, and let him hit a home run. No way. <laughs> so you you mentioned that Gosman said that as well. Gosman had a, a couple of different issues yesterday. Uh, after Obviously not on the field. He had a tremendous start, his second in a row, um, and his third really good start against the Yankees this year. But um, it, it seemed like he was, first of all, a, a little bit bothered by the crowd. I don't even know if booing is the right word, but when judge walked, not being the the first time when it was a non-intentional walk, the crowd not being jazzed about it. Um, but he also had an issue with um, the baseballs a little bit. And this is a quote that he had. And this is from our uh, passed on by Julia Kreutz of MLB.com. Uh, why does he need a different baseball? If we're writing something on it beforehand, I think he's going to get the baseball no matter what, right? I know why they're doing it, but kind of weird. Um, what do you think of, of, you know, the special, hey, rolling out the Aaron Judge balls? Is that, and Gosman said there's no, like there was nothing with like the feel or the grip or anything like that. It was just more the the ceremony of it seemed to rub him a little wrong. Huh. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think the reason they do it, obviously, collectors, right? Yeah. I mean, they, they want to make sure that it's the right ball. They don't want, you know, somebody to catch the ball and then all of a sudden switch it with another ball. You just never know what can happen. So I can see why they do it. And obviously, you know, trying to sell it and whoever ends up catching it can become an instant millionaire. Correct. <laughs> I mean, if, if, that's <laughs> what they say. Like that. I, mean, I was in left field last night and, and there were a couple people in our section being like, yeah, they estimate the ball would be worth $2 million. I'm like, I just want to be here for the home run and, and the, have the Jays win. Like I'm not, I don't why, know about $2 why, million, like, dollars, why, but why are you lying, man? You yeah. know, you're trying to catch that ball. <laughs> I just don't want that guy who gets all the balls and takes them from little kids. I just don't want him to get it. I don't care who else gets it. Um, it's funny. Yeah, no. I, I would like in any other circumstance, I would give a ball to a kid, but one, if it's $2 million, I'm not handing a kid a, a briefcase of unmarked twenties and fifties, you know? <laughs> hey man. Yeah. I, I, I believe, I mean, I, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, if you catch that ball, obviously it's, it's life-changing money. And if you catch it, you better take me out to a nice center in Toronto, man. That's all I'm saying. No, but yeah. uh, buddy, uh, you, you, uh, we'll do, if I catch that ball, I, I'm coming there. We're going to, we're going to go to a Niners game. Um, your, your poor guy, Trey Lance killing both of our fantasy teams. Um, oh man. Yeah. Shambles right now. Shambles no, but, right now. You no, know, honestly, I, 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 you know what? every guy's going to have a different opinion about what's going on right now and stuff like that. Um, obviously Gosman's a competitor and he's probably like, why am I getting booed for walking him? But let's, 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 let's be honest too. I mean, when, when the Yankees come in town into Toronto, they always travel well too. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of Yankee fans. I feel like in the city of Toronto, I mean, one of the most historic franchises, it's easy to be a fan of that team, right? When, when, when people are growing up and stuff like that, but I mean, I feel like that didn't really come. I, I, I want to believe that that it didn't really come from Toronto Blue Jay fans, right. probably just Yankee fans that kind of obviously make some noise. And then obviously you start hearing the booze, but I mean, he's the guy with the ball and he has a right to his opinion. And uh, I remember for me, when, when, when they were switching the balls to a rods balls and they were number two, I just thought they were a little bit too white. And I'm like, is he, are they trying to, get it, get them as white as possible so uh, that he can see it better. And, and it's not rubbed up as much. You know, I, I thought they were like, 
completely different in that <laughs> sense. I mean, I didn't say anything at the time, but um, <clears throat> but yeah, I just remember them being pretty white. <laughs> yeah, and if you're Kevin Gosman and, and you hold the Yankees to two earned over six and a third, you can you can say just about whatever you want. I'm I'm gonna be exactly. I'm gonna be cool with it. Um, <laughs> if you look at Kevin Gosman's line on the season now, and I know he's had some weirdness with like the batting average on balls in play and, and things like that, but even with that, you look at some of the numbers he's put up. He his season is gonna be one of the better see him and Manoa um, two of the better seasons from a starter in Blue Jays history. You as someone who has been one of those pitchers for this franchise and has pitched alongside of them. Um, what's it like for you to see two Jays at once kind of pitching at the level that Gosman and Manoa are great, man, especially when, when they got a playoff type team and, and, you know, we, we, when we watch the playoffs, we always say, you know what, they, they need two, three good starters. And then, you know, the rest you kind of figure out as you go along. And to have two guys that you can rely on that can give you quality innings, quality starts, that are going to give you a chance to win every time you go out there, I mean, that's a big plus-plus. And I feel like Manoa and Gosman have been feeding off each other all season long. Like, it's like, boom, one goes out there and gives you seven, the other one goes out there and gives you seven. And, and when you're getting that out of two guys in the rotation, um, obviously you want more guys to be able to do that. But... When you have two top guys like that, I know we mentioned, you know, we talk about DeGrom and Scherzer, two of the greatest pitchers on the face of this earth. You know, you go into a playoff series, you're like, you're talking DeGrom, DeGrom, Scherzer. Well, shoot, Toronto has Manoa and, and Gosman who are just as good. And, and, and maybe they don't get the level of hype that those two guys get because they play in New York and they are really good. But you get two, two horses going into a playoff series that, should be feared by a lot of hitters. And I'm sure a lot of teams that are, you know, whether it's the Rays or Seattle or whoever they face, I'm sure they're not looking forward to facing those two guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they're not. And, you know, if you, depending on how, how things go and if the Jays use Manoa in that last game of the season or, or not, um, you know, you're going to see at some point in the wild card series, and certainly if the Jays move on, you're going to see Ross Stripling. You're going to see Jose Brios. Um, Ricky, it feels like every time we've had you on the show, it's after, and I promise this isn't happening intentionally. It's just like we book you and then Jose Brios has a bad start. And it's, you know, it's us trying to kind of diagnose or, or try to figure out, you know, what is it this time? Because Brios has kind of been chasing it all year and you've done a great job kind of giving us the the mental look at, at what is that like? What is that challenge to always be tweaking? Uh, I'm curious about, this so chris black uh sports that producer who you know was on earlier and he, he provided some numbers on Brios's curveball from the last couple starts and it's been his best pitch all year but over his last three starts he hasn't got any strikeouts with it and opponents are hitting almost 500 against it the thought there is that maybe he's tipping it or, or it's becoming too obvious when he's using it. You as a pitcher, if you have one pitch that's been your bread and butter and then it stops being that, how do you go about trying to figure out if it's something you might be tipping or, or what it is uh, that's wrong there? Yeah, I think it's the biggest thing is, is, is uh, you, 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 you set it up how you set it up and, and, you know, the Yankees are a familiar team. The scouting report is out there, and, and you know, I'm sure they know what Barrios is going to do in certain counts. Well, maybe we, we change the game plan up a little bit. We say, hey, you know what? Instead of throwing curveballs with two strikes or 0-1, maybe we drop them 1-0 or 
or OO and just kind of flip the script a little bit and just kind of get them off their toes. And they're kind of, you know, if you start throwing that for a strike, the Yankee hitters are going to have to adjust differently and they're going to be like, oh, okay, so this guy's starting me off with curveballs and then finishing me up with fastballs up in the zone or whatever it is. And I think it's that, that's, that's the thing sometimes. It's just making that adjustment. It's not necessarily a mechanical adjustment or anything like that. I think at this point in the season, there's no sense in making any big adjustment. I think he's made all the adjustments he had to do mechanically. Now it's just, okay, these these guys know what I want to do. Maybe now, if I always said, if, if the hitter doesn't adjust to me, then I'm going to keep doing the same thing. If I see an adjustment, then I have to change something. And I think that's the, that's the thing with Barrios right now. It's just maybe changing it up a little bit, changing the, the pitches a little bit, maybe the way. He, he's throwing certain hitters, and maybe it'll turn around for him. I mean, I feel like I've told this story before about Jose Molina. I mean, the whole, the the Red Sox used to hit me really, really well um, throughout my career, and then one day he's like, he came up to me, he's like, you know what? Your changeup is your best pitch. We're gonna take it out of the equation. We're just gonna go fastball, curveball. Stay with me. We're gonna set up the changeup in certain situations when they're not expecting it. I think I ended up going like seven seven innings, maybe a run or two, and I was like, whoa. He's like, and, and I remember at the end, he's like, that's how you pitch. Man. That's how you go out when a team is making adjustment on you. That's how you go and make the adjustment on them. And and I was like, okay. So it's just little things like that that he has to figure out. Him and obviously whoever it is, Jansen or Kirk, um, and, and they just have to be able to make those adjustments tonight. So if you are looking ahead to the, let's say, game three, of a wild card series, right? It's Manoa and Gosman go and they're one, one after that. And you've got Barrios say as your number three Barrios and Stripling are probably both getting used in that game since it's a everything on the table game. Do you lean toward Barrios starting just because Stripling has the experience coming out of the bullpen? How would you kind of look at that? Ooh, you got, you had to put me on the spot, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> Look, man, it you know was what? either I'm it was either finish with that question or ask you something about Jimmy Garoppolo, and I thought that this one was a <laughs> was a nicer question to ask you about. <laughs> now you know what? Um, if you take away his last start, and obviously we're you know obviously you can't do that, but he had been pitching well, mm-hmm. and he had he had been solid, you know, giving us six innings, you know, two runs, three runs, whatever it was, and he was getting getting some outs, and and he was doing a great job, and up until that last start, he kind of had a little bit of a hiccup. That's why I'm curious to see how he bounces back tonight against this good Yankee team and, and kind of going from there. But I mean, it's, it, it's tough. I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but for me personally, I think I would go Jose Barrios for game three and then with stripling waiting in the wings for sure. And, it, and it's probably one of those things where it's a short leash type of start, right? I mean, as soon as I see him getting in trouble, it's like, okay, I know stripling can come out of the bullpen. Like you mentioned, and he can come in and give me quality innings, you know, in the middle innings or whatever it is. So I think it's one of those things. But, I mean, I mean you know, he can also go out there and, and fire six six innings to shut out baseball. And now we're looking at Jose Barrios like, damn, like he brought it tonight. And this is what they needed out of him. So it just all depends on, I think, how that game three kind of looks. But I think I would go Jose Barrios for a game three. All right. You heard it from Ricky Romero. Uh, that's well, we'll see how tonight goes and the next start goes. Maybe it changes, but um, yeah. last, last one for you, Ricky. I know 
obviously Jimmy Garoppolo takes over for Trey Lance on your Niners, but I know you said you had a Trey Lance fantasy ownership as well, right? What's your, what is your quarterback situation at this point? Hurting, hurting. <laughs> I, I, nobody left on the waiver wire. I, 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 and I don't know why I, this is bad GMing by me, but I, I thought Justin Fields was going to have a coming out party against the Chicago Bears and or I mean against the Houston Texans, and he didn't. He let me down, and that's the reason why I lost this weekend. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, Ricky Romero, thanks so much for taking the time, buddy. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, Blake. Uh, Ricky Romero, MLB Network Radio, Sportsnet, of course, uh, Spin Rate Podcast as well. Uh, before we take a break here and get to John Morosi, Yankees lineup for you. We read the Jays one earlier. We'll refresh you before we go at the end of the hour. Um, the Yankees going Aaron Judge in center field. Not right because uh, Harrison Bader is getting the night off. They'll go Aaron Judge, Anthony Rizzo, Glaber Torres, Josh Donaldson, Giancarlo Stanton, Oswaldo Cabrera, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Kyle Higashioka, and Aaron Hicks. So one lefty and two switch hitters in there. Jose Brios has monster platoon splits on the year, but the Yankees only have Rizzo and a couple switch hitters, and they don't seem super eager to get Marwin Gonzalez into games. Um, so Barrios maybe has the opportunity to, well, not maybe, he has the opportunity to go righty-righty a lot through the order. Uh, we'll see how that plays out. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will go deeper on the pitching matchup and look at those lineups in a little more detail. But first, we're going to talk to John Morosi of MLB Network. We're going to get the high-level national look at not just the Aaron Judge chase, but John Morosi is a guy who's been pretty high on the Blue Jays all year. We talked to, we talked to Esteban about it earlier, who's a, a Yankees guy. Might kind of be the sense growing that the, the Jays are once again a team you don't really want to draw in the playoffs if they get through the wild card series. Uh, we'll see what John Morosi has to say about that next on Jays Talk Plus on Sports at 590 The Fan. Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Jays Talk Plus. I'm Blake Murphy. If you're down at the Jays game tonight, a couple things to watch out for. I provided this deep scoop my greatest reporting on the jd bunkus podcast earlier which by the way uh we talked about some of the jays stuff we talked about raptors media day as well if you want to go check that out uh the jd bunkus podcast wherever you get your podcast but uh the blue jays ran out of hot dog buns last night and tonight is the last loony dog day of the season so we'll see how that goes the other thing you'll see and our next guest is coming on to help us preview it Austin Matthews of the Toronto Maple Leafs throwing out the first pitch tonight, uh, joining us now of NHL network and MLB network, John Morosi, John, your expectations for Austin Matthews throwing out the first pitch tonight. You, you think he grooves a strike in there or what? I think he grooves the strike without question. Of course, he's got some baseball in his background. I know his dad played baseball. Good friend of Cody Bellinger, of course, <laughs> growing up in the uh, uh, Phoenix, Arizona area. So I, I do think, Austin, great all-around athlete. And I would say this. I would say this. Were it not for the existence of the then Phoenix and now Arizona Coyotes, Austin Matthews might well be a Major League Baseball player right now because he's a great athlete. We know that. 
But had it not been for the Coyotes playing there, he never would have been introduced to Daniel Briere and the full story about how he came to love the great game of hockey. So I think you will see on the mound tonight, first of all, Austin, being a pro athlete and being a friend of Cody Bellinger would know, you've got to go all the way up to the rubber, okay? 60 feet, 6 inches from the summit of the mound, dealing a strike. And then, of course, as we know, the next pitch delivered from there will be by Jose Barrios to Aaron Judge. So that's that's a pretty good trio of athletes there to begin the evening. So it is, we may have uh, lost John. No, he's still there. Okay. Um, so it is, you're right. It is the, the next pitch after Austin Matthews is going to be Jose Brios to Aaron Judge. Um, Aaron Judge stuck on 60. He hasn't homered in six games now. Uh, the world is falling apart for Yankees fans. And they were very, very, very upset that the Blue Jays intentionally walked Aaron Judge in the 10th last night with runners on first and second. Uh, John, what, what was your take on that move from Jays manager, uh, John Schneider? It's the right move. You're trying to win a baseball game. At the end of the day, uh, that should not determine whether or not Aaron Judge gets the 62 home run. He's had a lot of opportunities. Uh, I think still he's had great at-bats. In no way, shape, or form should anyone say at this juncture that he is having anything resembling a slump. Nothing like that. You you look at his at-bats last night. He walks twice. He hits an absolute laser to right field probably could have walked later on in the game when Diaz rung him up on the, on the pitch that was off-speed and low uh, out of the zone, I thought. So he, he had a tremendous set of at-bats last night, I thought. And so, uh, But at the end of the day, the Jays are trying to get a playoff spot. This game matters a ton, the Toronto Blue Jays. Just look at how they celebrated the walk-off win. Look at Vlad's reaction, the intensity of that moment. So in no way, shape, or form does John Schneider have to um, give a nod to where Judge is at historically. He he has gotten and will get pitches to hit. Uh, that has not been an issue for for Aaron or for anybody else. So I, I think that that part of the story uh, I find no issue with whatsoever. The Jays are trying to win, trying to make the playoffs, trying to get home field advantage. So there are some big time things at stake for the Blue Jays, and I've got no issue whatsoever with uh, giving Judge a free pass there. Me neither. And, you know, I, I crunched some numbers and analytically it was slightly the right move. And then when you factor in, it's, well, it's Aaron Judge. Of course, it's uh, it makes sense. And then it's not as if Anthony Rizzo is some nobody either. That's a, that's an all-star. That's a guy who I know you did a, right. a, a quick feature recently about, you know, he came back and the Yankees railed off six wins in a row. Um, how, how big is Anthony Rizzo going to be for this team, not just the rest of the way here, but in a playoff series where, yeah, I'd imagine in the postseason, teams are going to pitch around Aaron Judge even more. Uh, Rizzo, really the only lineup protection he has, and no one setting the table for him at the top with how weak the bottom of the Yankees order has been. Feels like Rizzo is a really, really big swing piece for what this Yankees offense looks like in the playoffs. Blake, you're exactly right. Uh, when I talk about what the Yankees are going to do in October, I look at two players, Rizzo, and Stanton. Judge is going to be Judge. Judge uh, will get his hits. He'll probably still get his home runs. But as great as he has been, I do not see the Yankees winning the World Series unless Rizzo or Stanton steps up and has a huge October. Now, Stanton has done that in the past. He had a great 2020 playoffs, if you remember, uh, in the bubble out there in San Diego, had a really, really good playoffs. So I think he's certainly capable of doing that. And Rizzo, to your point, 
They're now seven and one since he's returned uh, from the injured list. So that just tells you how important Rizzo is. And Rizzo just gives them balance. It's a different at bat. Rizzo has always been someone who has had a two strike approach in an era in which very few players do. And so as a consequence, he's an excellent guy to have right behind judge. That was the case uh, over the weekend, Saturday's game that we had on MLB network. Uh, there was a close call that judge had. He got rung up on that probably wasn't, uh, he probably didn't go all the way around on a, on a check swing, some frustration there, two pitches later, Rizzo homers. And, and he can have that kind of immediate effect on a game. The, the Yankees are still working through whether or not they're going to have Ben Intendi, uh, what Carpenter can give them, what LeMayhew can give them. And, and Rizzo for me is, is the consistent force in that lineup. And Stanton again is that electrifying player where, when Rizzo is healthy and batting second, you can bump Stanton down to fourth or fifth and it lengthens the lineup out significantly. So those to me are the two guys, because if they're not going, then the opposition is going to be able to say, okay, I'm going to walk judge darn near any time that it's a dangerous situation. And I'm going to force Rizzo to beat me. But if Rizzo starts going, it's a much harder decision to do that. So uh, that for me is why, Rizzo, Stanton, huge for the Yankees, along with their bullpen, which you saw last night, uh, a very close game. Aroldis Chapman did not pitch. Clay Holmes probably will be their closer going forward, at least as the playoffs begin. They had Efros in the game last night. I thought he had a pretty good outing. Uh, Loizaga as well. But they need, I think, as much depth there as possible. Marinaccio has been pretty good for them. Uh, but I think in general, the Yankees have some bullpen questions in addition to their their supplementary offense after Aaron judge. Well, especially if they face the blue Jays in a playoff series, because Aroldis Chapman, um, the Jays are very, very righty heavy, especially at the top and middle of their order. So uh, Chapman doesn't even get a, a breather with any, you know, lefties that he can work the platoon advantage against. Um, John, I know that throughout the year when we've talked to you on the fan morning show or, or on Jays talk plus you have been pretty high on the blue Jays. Now, they may be underwhelmed a little start over the last, since they changed managers, they're 42 and 25 over the last month, they're 17 and eight. They're the number one offense in the American league by far over the last month and, and by a narrower margin, but still since the all-star break um, are, do you think this blue Jays team is getting back to, Oh gee, you really don't want to run into them in a playoff series status. Yes, I think this is probably the Blue Jays' best playoff team since 2015. Now, 2016, of course, they were able to get to the ALCS. I like this group a little better than that one. I really do. Uh, and, and the difference for me begins with Alec Manoa. The Jays right now have a legitimate game one ace. And uh, he is pitching better now than Robbie Ray was last September when, as you remember, if a couple of games had gone differently, the Jays are in the playoffs. And, and I think Manoa seems to be getting better and better. And, and he, he seems to love, love the spotlight, love the attention. I loved what he said after his last start about uh, the critics questioning if he can get to 200 innings. And, and certainly uh, on a more human level, uh, speaking out on behalf of Alejandro Kirk and, <laughs> and going to bat for his teammates. Those are things that leaders do. And, and, you can tell that, that he, can, he can be this larger-than-life presence while also producing on the mound. And, and there are, there's only a handful of guys in baseball, I really think, that can, 
that can do that uh, and, and have that personality to – because I'll say this. It, it's a little bit in, in the different sports that we talk about and cover. I feel like the, the daily nature of baseball makes it hard to be someone who who is sort of out there and, and accessible and will talk and say things that sometimes are controversial or just that, that are maybe against the grain a little bit. That takes additional effort. There's a reason why the guys that have played in New York and had success like Jeter and Judge are so low-key. And, and I just think Judge and Jeter both perfect to the market. I think Manoa, personality-wise, I, I, he's unique. There are not a lot of guys that I've covered that, that, are, that are sort of that outspoken and that authentic all the time because that can be exhausting. <laughs> it can be exhausting when you're the go-to guy for quotes. I think about the times that I covered Gary Sheffield and with Chef, you just you never knew what he was going to say because he was just <laughs> that honest and, and that funny and that serious at times. And there's a little bit of that with Alec in a very good way. I think it's it's refreshing and it's something that the game needs more of. And I love that he's comfortable with that stage and and is comfortable speaking out on behalf of his teammates and just and also his city and you know. The, the back and forth with Garrett Cole. I mean, could you imagine if there's a, a game five showdown with Garrett Cole in a division series or a game one showdown? These are going to be fun matchups. And, and, and he's going to just love and soak that up. I mean, just given the way that Manoa has pitched and given the way that Cole has struggled, especially with all the home runs he's given up, you know, when you think about that game, whether it's a Yankee Stadium or Rogers Center, I I like Manoa in that matchup. I think he's just he's got he's got it when it comes to October pitching, and I think as a consequence, he's elevating the entire team. And then you see Vladdy have a moment like last night. I, I like what the bullpen has done. Romano has been pretty solid really all season long. I think Pop has has emerged a bit as someone that you trust. I, I think there's some elements to this team that I like a lot. And, and Merrifield had some timely hits. You know, the overall production maybe has been there, but. I trust him in a big spot. He does some small ball things that play in a playoff series. So this is a team that I think could beat you in a lot of different ways, whereas I think the 2016 team was a little more one-dimensional. This team has got some different attributes to it, and I'm I'm excited to watch them play in October. Me too, and I'm excited for that Manoa Cole matchup hypothetical. I'm excited. I'm excited for the baseball world to get to see Alec Manoa a little bit more too. We saw that kind of, he was like the breakout personality of all-star weekend. And now the idea of him being, you know, in a playoff series, all these nationally televised games, it could be a really fun time for the rest of the baseball world to really get to know him. Um, John, you lay out a great case there. Why the Jays could potentially be dangerous. Now, if we were going to do the opposite and give reasons for concern, one of them is on the mound tonight. And whether it's Ross Stripling as a game three and Jose Barrios as a game four or vice versa, there remain big question marks about Jose Barrios. Um, When you see how this has played out for the Blue Jays, where, you know, the Yusei Kikuchi thing went how it went. Mitch White's been pretty up and down since they got him. and, And Jose Barrios still hasn't really you know, figured out what, what's ailed him. Do you look back on, you know, you were sitting right next to me. Do you, do you look back on the Blue Jays trade deadline and Mitch White being kind of the, the highlight pitching, starting pitching item? Um, do you look back on it differently at this point at all? You know, it's a great question. I, at the time, I would say this. I, I didn't think when we were talking there about the Jays' greatest needs that, that a, 
a Luis Castillo type, and obviously you look at how he's pitched for Seattle against the extension. If if that was necessarily what the Jays should have done, I I, I think that it obviously would have helped. There's no question about that. But when you when you look at the way the Jays pitching looked in late July, to me there there were a little more there were more reasons for optimism with the current cast as it existed back then. Uh, you, you were maybe a bit more hopeful for what Kikuchi could give you. Uh, obviously Ryu and the injury has been a, a season long story, but I think it's a question of, of asset and how you could have pursued that to maybe uh, if you're going to make a, a play for a more prominent bat, could you have added a starting pitcher there? It's more of a swing guy. Mitch White is basically that, but he just hasn't quite shown that he can, get out and start a playoff game. I, I think to your point, Stripling has earned the right to start a playoff game for me. Uh, if it's a three-game series, I think it's Manoa and Gossman and him. And maybe Berrios is either someone that you look at for the next round if you make it or uh, available more in a, in a bulk role. And certainly having quality innings will would be a luxury for them. But I, I just don't think that he has earned that right yet. The, the, the contract is the contract. But you got to make the decision based on who who is pitching the best at that moment. And to that extent, tonight's outing is huge. It's against the playoff team at home. As I mentioned earlier today, he's he's given up the second most home runs in the American League this year after only Garrett Cole, oddly enough. And so that, that certainly uh, makes you wonder about Judge and if maybe he gets 61 tonight because of the odds. Um, it, it, but there, there's no question, Blake, that the pitching situation has grown more precarious since we were sitting there in studio together. Hmm. And, and I, I do wonder that even though I wasn't really second-guessing them at the time, that perhaps uh, if the Jays had a little more intel internally on what was going on with Kikuchi, et cetera, maybe that would have been a, a wiser play to allocate some more resources to that exact need on their roster. Yeah, it's uh, it'll be a tough one to look back on if the third spot in that rotation can't hold up for them uh, in the postseason However, the trade deadline, obviously fond memories because uh, we got to hang out here. You, you got to do the show with me for a bit, John. Uh, always, it was awesome. Always appreciate <laughs> you taking the time out. Uh, you have a great day, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon as the, the playoffs pick up here. Sounds great, Blake. I can't wait, my friend. And again, make sure that we get a good stat cast read on Matthews on the mound tonight. I believe that it will show that he could have been a major league player if things had had unfolded differently. So I'm expecting big things from Austin Matthews tonight. I will stop and get a radar gun on my way to the park from the studio, and we'll we'll see how it goes, John. John Morosi uh, of MLB John. Network and NHL Network. Thanks so much. <laughs> that was John Morosi, MLB Network, NHL Network. Always fun to have John on. Uh, from John Morosi to a different John, Ross Atkins, the general manager of the Blue Jays, uh, spoke to media earlier today, and this is passed on from Ben Nicholson-Smith, asked about Blue Jays interim manager John Schneider. Um, Atkins and Schneider both said the focus is on wins right now. Um, Asked about Schneider, though, Atkins said he's pleased with the leadership and decision-making, and Schneider has made it clear that he loves the role. So a lot of that decision will probably hinge on how the Jays do these next couple weeks, but both sides of it seem fairly pleased with how things have gone so far. Let's go through the lineups once more. I kind of threw them out at the end of segments um, as they came to us. So we'll take a minute with them here. Here's how the Yankees are lining up against Jose Barrios. 
Aaron Judge in center because Harrison Bader is getting the day off. Anthony Rizzo, Gleyber Torres, Josh Donaldson, Giancarlo Stanton, Oswaldo Cabrera, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Kyle Higashioka, and Aaron Hicks. Some of the things we've looked at with Brios is teams stacking lefties against him because he has pretty significant platoon splits. The Yankees don't have a lot of those. Anthony Rizzo is a lefty, and then you'll have uh, Aaron Hicks and Oswaldo Cabrera hitting from the left side because they're switch hitters, uh, but that's it. They don't have the ability to stack lefties against Barrios. Will that help Barrios? We'll see. A lot of it will come down to how that curveball looks. Chris Black earlier in the show providing us a stat that over his last three starts, Jose Barrios has zero strikeouts on his curveball and opponents are hitting almost 500 against it. Um, James G and TO had asked if there was any difference in things like velocity or spin rate. Uh, there aren't, there's not a, a statistically significant difference in how that curveball has been shaped or how fast it's been coming in. So that to me suggests it's either a location issue or a, they know it's coming issue. We'll see how that looks tonight uh, for Brios. He comes into this one with a 527. ERA, um, as I, I pointed out with a, a little graph last week, the issue isn't so much that Barrios doesn't have a lot of average starts. He does have a lot of quality starts. He keeps you in a lot of games. He has not had a top quartile start this year. So he hasn't had a start we'd qualify as great, um, at least statistically using baseball references game score. Um, and he has had a lot of very bad ones. So we'll see how this goes. The curveball, the big thing. The other thing to watch with Barrios is the one thing that left you room for optimism when he was struggling earlier in the year was he wasn't walking anyone and he had an elite chase rate, getting guys to swing at pitches outside of the zone. Both of those have come back down to earth a little bit. So if you're Jose Brios and you've really struggled giving up hard contact and now suddenly guys aren't swinging at your stuff outside of the zone as much and you're giving you know an extra free pass here and there, that's not a, a great recipe for success. Um, Barrios has faced this Yankees team a bunch. He's faced, he started against them three times this year, nine earned over 17 innings over those three starts. Uh, 18 strikeouts is nice, but uh, five walks, 17 hits. So 22 base runners in those 17 innings. Aaron Judge, eight for 20 against Barrios with a pair of home runs. Barrios has given up more home runs than anyone in the American League, except for Garrett Cole. Uh, Anthony Rizzo has also homered off of him twice, seven for 19 with a pair of homers. Oswaldo Cabrera, two for three with a double. Now, there are some guys who have struggled against him. The Yankees are sitting a couple of those guys, but Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, Giancarlo Stanton, Glaber Torres, all shaky track records against Barrios. So we'll see how that plays out. The Jays will line up as follows behind Barrios. George Springer, Bo Bichette, Vlad Guerrero gets a DH day, Alejandro Kirk at catcher hitting fourth, Matt Chapman, Teoscar Hernandez, Rymel Tapia on left, Whit Merrifield at second, Kevin Biggio at first. That group will try to get to Jamison Tyon for the sixth time this year. Tyon has started five times against the Jays already this year. Uh, only eight earned runs over 27 innings um, and 27 to three strikeout the walk ratio. So he's done a, a pretty good job. Now, having said that, Vlad is six for 20 against him with three doubles and a homer. That's pretty good. Bo Bichette, Teoscar Hernandez, Alejandro Kirk, Rymel Tapia, all pretty solid results in medium samples. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez has also been hammering the ball. We talked about some of the stack cast stuff with Chris Black earlier. If you missed that, you can listen on the podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcast, Blue Jays Talk. That was the first segment today. 
Teoscar Hernandez, some of the best batted ball numbers on the team. Uh, also one of the very best hitters in the league against fastballs. We'll see how that goes. Uh, James Tatayan will throw a 94-mile-an-hour fastball about a third of the time. It's one of those high-spin fastballs. So if you hear the term rising fastball, um, that's what we're talking about there. Uh, he'll also throw slider, curveball, cutter, sinker, changeup. The tough thing with Tyon isn't necessarily any one of those pitches, but he will throw six pitches all 9% of the time or more. So this is a true six-pitch pitcher um, against righties. He'll ditch the changeup against lefties. He really won't throw the sinker much, but otherwise you're seeing a lot of all of this. Uh, Tyon comes in with a 390 ERA strikeout rate down significantly this year, uh, but so is the walk rate. Been a little homer prone though. So we'll see how that plays out. Jamison Tyon against Jose Barrios. Um, it is also Aaron judge looking for home run number 61 it is also your last Looney Dogs day of the year. I looked at the American League playoff schedule, and there wouldn't be a possible Tuesday home date, I don't think, until the World Series. So no Looney Dogs in the wild card, no Looney Dogs in the first round. Get all those dollar glizzies in you tonight while you can. Should be a fun one down at the park. uh I don't know. I've seen like every person who works for sports at five ninety, the fan tweeting that they're going to be there. Um, my segment with JD earlier convinced him and one of his associate producers, Pete to go down. We know Ben Ennis is there. I'm going to kick it to drive time momentarily here. Ben Ennis doing the show from down at Rogers center. It's a fun one. You know, it's a big game when Ben Ennis is like, Hey, let me, let me do the show from the Rogers center where the drive time after Ben Ennis It'll get kicked over to Ben Wagner and Arden Zwelling. 707 first pitch on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Blair and Barker will be with you for Jay's talk after the game. I'll be back 3 to 5 tomorrow as we tee up the third game of the series, which is expected to be Mitch White against Garrett Cole. The Jays' magic number, down to 3. The Yankees' magic number, down to 2. Could be champagne on the Yankees' side tonight. Could be getting down to scoreboard watching on Toronto side after tonight. Jose Barrios, Jamison Tyon. I've been Blake Murphy for Jays Talk Plus. Thank you to Chris Black, to Esteban Rivera, to Ricky Romero, to John Morosi for joining us. Thanks to JR and Derek behind the glass. Apologies to those of you who texted in. I didn't get to many of them today, uh, but we'll do our best tomorrow when we talk to you for Jays Talk Plus on Sportsnet 590 The Fan.